Amen. Thank you, Brother Smith. Galatians chapter number five. I've never lost the wonder of it all. Written by Al Smith and privileged to get to know Dr. Smith when I was back in Bible college. And in fact, he sang in our wedding. And uh, Al Smith wrote a number of songs and responsible for a large portion of our hymn history, did a lot of research. And he, um, he actually uh, wrote several children's songs that we sing. Jesus is the rock of my salvation. His banner over me is love. And our hymnal, Surely Goodness and Mercy. He co-wrote that with John W. Peterson and uh, many other songs. He sang for Billy Sunday, one of the Billy Sunday meetings. But his first wife passed away and he married his second wife, I think. And she was about, Nancy was about 30 years younger than he was and, and had uh, children in his son was in school with me back at Ambassador Dave, and so got to know Dave. And Dave's over leading singing Grace Baptist Church in Columbia, uh, South Carolina. And so we, it was a great privilege to get to know Dr. Al Smith. And, and so he sang and sang a, a song that he wrote and um, told the history of it, and, and it was a great blessing. We have a picture of him blowing bubbles at our wedding with Dr. Childs. Um, and they're a blowing bubble pair there. And so great memories. Let's dismiss our children at this time for our children's ministry. Galatians chapter number five. Let me mention uh, this coming Wednesday night. Uh, if uh, you were here before when Faith Wins, Chad Conley was here and David Barton spoke, you won't want to miss this coming Wednesday night. Uh, they'll be back again uh, because of some of the key battleground uh, places in our nation, um, they're targeting certain places, trying to be a help to the church. And, and that's one of the things we're doing in our Bible Fellowship Hour at 915 is helping us avoid confusion. And so David Barton will be back with us on Wednesday night challenging us. And it'll be a great help. You know somebody uh, that would, has an interest in history and has an interest in our country, uh, they'll want to be here for that. And then tonight we'll kick off our marriage refresher. And that'll be a great blessing to us. It'll be a great, great help. Uh, we've all thought and, and we collaborated and we've chosen Brother Yusef Baker to lead this. Um, he's had no failure and he has no wife that can point a finger at him and tell him how bad he's been. So he's going to lead us and, and, uh, and tell us uh, how to make this thing work. Also, he'll, he'll do great on the parenting class as well. And uh, I, I was an expert on child rearing until I had them. And so it's amazing what uh, being married and having children does to some of the theories we have. But this will be a great help. I, I really, if you haven't signed up, I encourage you to come. Tonight we're just launching this and then we'll have different signups in which you can choose the different follow-up segments. And, and I encourage you to, to do this. Some are going to say, we're too bad, we don't need this. And, uh, and that's a lie of the devil. Others are going to say, we're too good, we don't need this. And that's another lie of the devil. And, um, and so uh, I encourage you to be a part of it. It'll be, it'll be good, and I think it'll be refreshing to you, which is the, the purpose of it. And it'll bring about the revival that we need. If we're going to have revival in our church, we can't bypass the home. And so this will be uh, exactly, I think there ought to be another amen outside of uh, Brother Jensen's there. We need it in our home. In fact, Paul says uh, when you want to look for leadership in the church, 
You got to look at their home. You can't miss that. That's where he says the primary requirement qualification is to see how they're doing in their home. And, um, and so that's, uh, we need revival. We need revival there. All right. And then uh, OPSAT's coming up Saturday. We don't want to miss that. We also have missions conference coming up in November. We'll be talking about that soon, getting ready for that. It'll be a great, great help and blessing uh, to our church and to what God has in store for us. Galatians 5, you have that? We're continuing in our journey, finding freedom. That's why God made us. That's why Christ died to save us so that we could have freedom. But not everybody experiences freedom. Not everyone is saved. And not everyone who is saved is experiencing freedom. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 1, he's talking to those who are saved. And he says, don't get entangled again. Don't go back to that which Christ saved you out of. And if you do, there's help because God wants us to be free. And so what I'm doing today, and I told you in the early chapters, first uh, chapter 1 and 2, about 20 messages ago, that I'm going to tie this together. We're going to bring this together. Well, we're doing it in chapter 5. And so in chapter 5, we are taking these bite-sized uh, messages here, and we're, we're constantly reviewing and taking on a few more verses and applying, reviewing and taking on a few more verses and applying. Now, if we were back 2,000 years ago when this was written and read, Paul would have given this in one letter and they would have read this letter to the assembly. So they would have gotten it all in one mindset and then it would have been discussed and it would have been challenged. They would have been uh, constantly going after th this, applying it to their life because they knew if we hear it but we don't apply it and do something with it, we're going to be self-deceived. And we're already in trouble because Paul's told us we've gotten into some trouble. So they're not taking just a couple verses, chew on it, we'll come back to it. They listen to it as a whole. And so what I'm doing is I'm trying to step back and bring it together, step back and bring it together so we get the whole mindset. So you're going to hear these, uh, we're going to have three points this morning, and they're the same three that we've had for the last couple of weeks. But we're going to look at it in the next verses as Paul elaborates on the three concepts that we're getting ready to get back into. I want to expound because the thought of liberty is so misunderstood. There are some who may be listening to the messages and say, well, it sounds like when you preach on liberating grace, you're saying that it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're saved because no matter what you do, God will forgive you and you can do, live any way you want to live. Well, that's not what I'm saying. It's not what Paul's saying. Someone may say, or it sounds like I have to live the perfect life in order for God to bless me and help me and and, well, I'll never be perfect, and, but yet that's what you're saying. Well, that's not what I'm saying either, and that's not what Paul is saying. I do want you to see what Paul says about three different ways we can live. Two of them won't work. One of them is the only way of Jesus and the only way that Paul preached, and it's the only way we're going to find freedom. Let's stand together, and we'll look at these verses. We're going to Focus on verse number 6 through 13. And so let's begin our reading back in verse number 1. 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Look at verse 7. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? He told us in verse number 1 why God saved us. He saved us so that we would be free. We are freed so that we can run and run well. The title of the message this morning is, You Are Freed to Run. So how are you running? He saved you, if you're saved, to free you. He freed you to run. So how are you running? Thank you. Please be seated. We've looked at these three in the past, and we're going to look at these again. He's been dealing with this matter of legalism. Legalism is a law or list focus, and it inevitably will default to self-dependence. There are people who try to get saved by doing the best they can. That's legalism. Their focus is on what they do because self-dependence comes from looking at a list and trying to check off that list. It doesn't matter what the issue might be. Here in this book, Galatians, it's about this matter of the Judaizers coming in. It's about circumcision. So some were trying to go back to Old Testament Abraham and be circumcised. Paul said, you buy into circumcision, you bought into legalism. You're focused on something that you have to do. And he went on to say, we looked at it last week, even those who say, well, I'm going to please God, I'm not going to be circumcised. And therefore, because I'm not circumcised, I have God's blessing. If you're circumcised, you don't. Paul says, you too are a legalist. 
Because you have thought that God blesses you by what you do or what you don't do. You're again focusing on a list or a set of rules. See, legalism does this. It makes things that are good, it makes them essential. It takes good things, but it makes them essential. Let me ask you, are standards good? Everybody has them. Everybody does. Even those who are not even in church, they have some standards. Everybody has standards. Are they essential? That's a trick question. Or they are essential for something. But if I were to ask, are standards essential to salvation? The answer would be no, no. Standards also are not essential to God's favor and blessing on my life. You say, so why standards? Because standards are good and they are essential in protecting and helping me so I can keep my focus on the one who puts blessing on my life. See, Daniel said it this way in Daniel chapter 1. The Bible says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not. He's got a standard. I'm not going to defile myself with what the king is offering or with with the wine. I'm not going to do that. That's a standard. And, And his standard became a conviction I'm convinced, they went on to say, we will fare better than the best of the best of the king's men because our focus is not upon this is the king's meat, this is the king's diet, this is the king's blessings. No, their focus was upon the greater king, that which is God. But his conviction came from a standard which was essential to protecting his heart and keeping his eyes focused on the one who made all the difference. And so legalism is, is, however, it's taking something that's good and it's turning it into something essential. Are standards essential? Sure. But they're not for my salvation. Um, They're not for getting God's favor or determining whether I have God's favor. It should be another way to, to say it. It's probably a better way. Because um, let's take, for example, reading my Bible. Is that good? Is it essential? Yes. But reading your Bible doesn't guarantee your salvation. No. But see, a legalist can take that or something else and make it a requirement for salvation. That's legalism. Also, some can make it a requirement and say, I read my Bible, therefore, today, God's hand of blessing is upon me. And you can go out and you can curse and you can uh, run people down. You can do all kinds of things and be deceived because you felt like you kept what was on your list. That's called legalism. All right? License. License is a no law focus. It's self-law. In other words, and he goes into this in Galatians 5, a little bit later, he goes into, I can do whatever I want to do. Again, self-focus. It's legalism. I'm trying to do the best I can. License is, I don't really care what you think. I don't care what God says. I don't care. I'm just going to enjoy my life. It's the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, the Elvis Presley, the I did it my way. I did what I wanted to do. Well, 
it may go okay. God gives you that freedom and that room for a little bit, but they don't have a say or sway over the remaining years of eternity because um, this self-focus, self-law, is going to end. And somewhere your party is going to end. It's not the way to live. You will not find liberty and freedom there. The other is liberty. And what that is, is just Jesus' focus. And it leads to Jesus' dependence. And the focus of the Bible is that of Jesus. Wherever you look is where you depend. Whatever you're focusing on is what you depend upon. Jesus is that life. And so there are people on both sides, legalism or license, that will even use Jesus as an excuse for their life. And I hope to be able to explain a little bit more this morning with Paul's argumentation here in these verses. Three ways in which we could live. And Paul says three ways people live the Christian life, two of them fail that's legalism and license, and only one way to find freedom, and that's liberty. Let's look at, first of all, the way of legalism. <clears throat> Paul says again in verse number one, don't be entangled. Don't get tangled back up in that yoke of bondage. That's what Jesus died to save us from. Life of legalism is a Christian living by a set of rules, a set of laws, and then basing your success on your performance, how well you have done. So that's why, again, people, they, they, they look at, here's what, I think I'm doing pretty good because look, look at what I, I kept today. I, I've, I've done all these things. And that's legalism. But what he's trying to tell us is that, that we were set free so that we could be free from getting back into this bondage. See, the Bible compares how sin grows to this matter of yeast. And he talks about this in verse number nine, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. The other time that he talks about this is in 1 Corinthians chapter five. He's dealing with the matter of open sin in the church. The sin was bad enough in itself. We have a, a man who's living in open immorality with the family member. And in on top of that, the congregation was condoning it. You say, how do you know they were condoning it? Because they ignored dealing with it the way God said to deal with it. And so Paul's writing them to deal with this sin. He says in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, your glorying is not good. You thinking you're okay is not good. In fact, that's a greater indictment against you. They were proud. They were haughty about it. We handled it our way. And Paul says, that's not up to you. You may do it in your house. You don't do that in God's house. Know ye not, he goes on to say, that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And Paul uses the same imagery in 1 Corinthians 5 that he uses in Galatians chapter 5. What is this leaven here? Probably should have Chef Cherry explain this to us. And no doubt some of you ladies could do even better, but my understanding is that when a woman would cook, they always had a little dough left over, which would ferment. And they would take that dough and they'd roll it into a lump. And when they cooked bread again and needed a little bit of yeast, they would pinch off some of that fermented dough. By adding just a little bit of that lump to the bread they were cooking, 
the yeast of the leaven, the yeast of the leaven would affect the entire loaf. And Paul's saying that's how sin works. Sin starts off very small. But if it's left unattended, it begins to grow and it'll permeate the whole thing. That's the way sin operates in the church. Condone a little sin in the church and if you don't deal with it, it'll spread into the entire fellowship. A lot of churches uh, have lost the favor of God, not because of what they did last week, but because of what they did over the past decade and not dealing with what put Jesus on the cross. It's not a matter of preference. It's a matter of God's opinion about the matter. And that's the way it works in your life and in mine. You let a little something get in there in your life and you don't deal with it. You don't confess it. You don't forsake it as the Bible says. You just kind of let it stay there. And the next thing you know, that little innocent seeming sin will begin to grow. It'll expand and spread and lead to the depths you've never even imagined. Sin, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit is like yeast. Now, what Paul is saying is that if we choose to live the Christian life by keeping laws and rules and standards in your own power to measure your success, then the first thing that it's going to do is it will stunt your growth. Verse number seven, notice what he says. Ye did run well, past tense. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? You were running well, Paul says. There was a time your eyes were on Jesus. Now you've moved into something else. Hindrances can undermine our race altogether. Some of our hindrances are caused by our own sin. Can you imagine the, running the Boston Marathon with a suitcase in one hand and a duffel bag over the shoulder of, with your other hand? You'd never finish. Those unnecessary weights would make it impossible to run. That's what unaddressed sin in our lives look like. It undermines our ability to run well the race that is set before us. We need to lay aside, Hebrews 12, 1 says, we need to lay aside those weights. The love of money, the lust of your eyes, the pride of life, covetousness, an unforgiving spirit. Lay aside such weight and the sin which clings to you, whatever that sin might be. He said, Paul says, who did hinder you? Who has blocked your progress? Who has stymied your growth? You're not growing as you once were. And here you are trying harder. But the harder you try, the more you fail. And the more you fail, the harder you try. And you feel guiltier and guiltier about what you're not doing in your life. And so your list may change to accommodate your failing and your struggle. But it's become a hindrance so that you're not running as God called you to run. That is the way of legalism. It will stop your growth as a Christian because you will elevate and evaluate your growth as a Christian completely by outward evidence of your growth. In other words, somebody may challenge you and you pull out your spiritual resume. 
Look at what I've done. Well, you're a legalist. Because you're evaluating your success based upon what you do. Remember one young, rich man came to Jesus and said, I'm going to follow you. I've done everything. I have kept every rule and law. Jesus said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. The man said, I think I'm busy. Jesus isn't saying that you've got to sell everything to get saved. What he's trying to expose, however, is when you're rule-focused, you're self-focused. This man was deceived in trying to convince Jesus that he was Jesus-dependent, but Jesus was telling him, no, you're not. You may have given up 99 things, but I'm looking at the one thing that's glaring. And remember, it takes just a little leaven to leaveneth the whole lump. Is there no outward evidence that you can see? If there's not a list of things that you can check off that you did that was good, then you're not going to feel that you're growing as a believer. And that can be very troublesome because you're looking at, I'm not able to do any, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making these, not giving up things like I used to. I'm not taking on things like I used to. Well, somewhere in your life, your Christian life ought to be like a slow tide rising. It shouldn't be a gully washer every year because you backslide and have to get right with God all over again. There ought to be a, a steady growth. How many things do you think John, John the Baptist in the dungeon of doubt and Paul there in the prison, how many things do you think that they were actually doing? They couldn't count the number of gospel tracts that they passed out. Yeah, I mean, they, they were pretty confined. They couldn't print anymore where they were. Paul was asking somebody, bring me some parchment. Somebody bring me some books. Somebody bring me a coat. And here they are. They're bound. They're limited. And there are a number of people who get up in their senior years and begin to get discouraged and depressed because they think, because what I can't do, I'm just of no use or value to God or the people of God. And I'm going to tell you, take your eyes off of what you do and don't do. Put your eyes upon Jesus. Someone says, oh, I knew that's where he's going. It's been eight years for him to get there. And now he's telling us it doesn't matter what we do or don't do. I didn't say that. When we live with the wrong focus, what it does is it stunts our growth. The second thing it'll do is it will pollute our fellowship. He says again in verse number 9, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Not only our own sin, but other people can actually hinder us from running the race. This is what happened to the Galatians. This is why Paul said, who hindered you? He recognized the Galatians have been knocked off course. He wants them to know that God isn't the one who undercuts his own runners. Look at it in verse 8. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. God didn't do this to you. Uh, I, I, I was serving God and, and all of a sudden I got this disease. I got this physical problem like Job. 
God didn't do it. God allowed it, but God didn't do it. God's not undercutting. I was serving God, then God took my wife. I've heard Dr. Childs give his testimony many a times when his wife got sick and they life flighted her and he never was never certain, had no guarantee that he'd ever see her on this side of heaven again. And he'd give his testimony that, as you know, open hands. Where does he get that from? He gets it from God. And his wife belonged to God. My children belong to God. It's not God who's doing the undercutting. He may introduce a few surprising twists and turns to test and strengthen us. But he's not the one who's hindering us from running. No one drops out on God, says, I was serving God until my wife died. I was serving God until I lost my health. I was serving God until I, I, I lost my, I was serving. No, you, you, you were not serving God during those things if your focus was on I'm serving God because of these things. Instead, a small group of people within the church started corrupting the whole. These Judaizers box the Galatians in and they're disrupting their race. They're hindering them from finishing well. I remember going through the book Unbroken years ago, dealing with Louis Zamperini. And in the 1938 NCAA championship in Minneapolis, Louis Zamperini was the man to beat. Coaches from rival schools had even ordered their runners to sharpen the spikes on their shoes and to slash Louis. Halfway through the race, just as Louis was about to make his move, several runners shouldered around him, boxing him in. Louis repeatedly tried to break loose, but he couldn't get around the other men. Suddenly, the man beside him swerved in, stomped on his foot, impaling Louis's toe with his spike. A moment later, the man ahead began kicking backward, cutting both of Louis's shins. A third man elbowed Louis to the chest so hard that he cracked his rib. And that's what Paul is seeing that these Judaizers, these agitators are doing to the, uh, to the Galatians. They'd come onto the track. They surrounded these Galatians and they boxed them in. And Paul recognized that there's no way these Galatians are going to finish the race well if they don't break free from these agitators' influence. But the only way they're going to break free is by removing this hindrance from their midst. That's why Paul quotes this proverb. A little leaven, eleven at the whole lump. Not only does he want the Galatians to realize the source of their failure, but he also wants them to take bold action to deal with it. See, I find that people don't mind teaching about church discipline. They just don't want it practiced, especially when it's too close to their home. But God is telling Paul here, and 1 Corinthians 5, I'm telling you this matter of this leaven so that you will take bold action. What is the bold action? Well, he mentions that this is what's hindering you. God freed you to run well, so get free from whatever is hindering you. And he even mentions this matter of, of the, the inference here of dealing with it. He says, um, 
Verse 12, I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. He's saying, I wish these Judaizers would just emasculate themselves. That's how big of a deal this is to God, tampering with his church. Don't forget Proverbs 6, 19, under that heading of the things that God hates, a false witness that speaketh lies, he that soweth discord among the brethren. And Paul, he is finally and sharp in his statement that, that they should disqualify themselves, these Judaizers, but you need to deal with them. You need to, to be bold in carrying out this action. Some of us need to lay aside a few weights. We're carrying some heavy bags. We've had difficulty running the Christian race because of unaddressed sin in our lives that easily entangle us. If we feel a lack of energy and vitality, it may be because we're struggling to run under the undue weight of unconfessed, unrepented sin. For others, it could be a certain individual in our life hindering our obedience to the truth. We need to remember that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What's true of churches is also true for individual Christians. A little bad influence can greatly damage our ability to run the race. A, a little following in an innocent social media form can be enough to put a, a wet blanket on the fire of your soul in running well. You need to put some distance between you and that person that is hindering you from running. We need to have some blunt conversations, maybe with a person who's been hindering. We may even need to part ways to avoid being weighed down any further by that person's influence. Listen, I, I for one, I am not obligated under any means whatsoever to encourage anyone to maintain a close relationship when somebody leaves the following of Jesus Christ in a band of disciples in a local assembly called Canaan Baptist Church and leave wrong, go wrong, be wrong and encourage you to maintain fellowship with that person. A little leaven is going to leaven a whole lump. I don't care if you're a deacon. I don't care if you're the pastor. You are influenced by somebody who's not being influenced by God. You say, how do you know? If they don't do right, if they don't do it the right way and handle it the right way, they're not right. That's not of God. I say that's not of God. And it's my responsibility not to police your home, but to pastor this church. And a little leaven, it leavens a whole lump. No one has a right to sit here. No one has a right to being a part of this body. It's a great privilege given to us by the blood of the crucified one. He's the chief shepherd, but there is an under shepherd. And there's a, re I said there is an under shepherd. And there is a responsibility. You don't deal with the little leaven and the lump. I'll deal with the lumpiness and the leaven as well. And so no lumpiness, all right? Happy Lord's Day. You're not going to enjoy it until you recognize the seriousness of what God is emphasizing. So when Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, he's saying the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is going to contaminate the entire church. And all they are looking for is somebody to listen to them. You say, well, I think I can reach them. If God can't reach them, what makes you think that you're going to reach them? 
if they're not going to listen to God and his word and go about the right process, well, we've just been best friends. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I'll take your resignation. If you're in leadership, you have no business influencing others that belong to Jesus if you yourself think you're above the commands of Paul and the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, I'll keep going. Some of you haven't quite gotten it. That's why Jesus warned of the leaven of the Sadducees. He was saying the liberalism of the Sadducees, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, it'll contaminate the entire church. He says, beware of the leaven, Paul says, of legalism. The legalism of the Judaizers, it'll contaminate the whole church. Those who say, well, I don't have to follow the list of Pastor Ingram. We're going to follow. I found another pastor, and his list is easier than pastors. Who said to follow anybody's list? You're a legalist if your focus is, I'm coming because I like your list. I'm leaving because I don't like your list. That's legalism. Legalism is going to stunt your growth. Legalism, it will pollute the fellowship. Many people say, I'm doing the best I can are indicating their focus is wrong. But I want you to see a second way. It's the way of license. Verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto, what's the word? Liberty. Liberty. Sounds like a commercial here. Let's try it again, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. What is he talking about? License. That's the exact opposite of legalism. But it's identical to legalism in that it's both self. See, legalism puts you in a bondage to the law so that if you don't live up to the law, you say, well, I'm a failure. I might as well quit. That's why a lot of people don't even come to church they grew up in a legalistic church and the standard was set so high, they thought, well, I can never live up to it. And as soon as I get away from mom and dad, I'm never gonna go back to that church. God expects me to be and do something that's impossible. I can't do it, so I'm just gonna quit altogether. So they go from legalism to license. What did Paul say in Romans 6, 1? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Should we presume upon the grace of God? Should we use our liberty to say, I'm saved, my sins are forgiven, God's going to forgive me no matter what, therefore I'm going to go out and break all the laws of God that I want to break. I'm going to sleep with whomever I want to. I want to participate in any activity I want to. I'll just live any way I please because it's okay. I'm his child. It'll never change. I'm forgiven. It's called license. You say, is that possible? Can you do it? Yeah, you can do it. But there's no liberty. You have no freedom. So he's saying to the Galatians, you need to avoid the extremes of legalism. You need to avoid the extreme of license. Why? Well, when you're living by way of license, what it does is it undermines your calling. What have you been called to? Well, verse 13, you answer. For brethren, ye have been called unto. Yeah, but when you're going out and say, I can do anything that I want to do, whatever I want to do, just as long as I'm his child, I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. Well, sure, if you're his child, you're, you're forgiven positionally, you'll go to heaven no matter what. 
but it undermines your calling. You are called to liberty and freedom and going into the mindset, I can do, I can break any law that put Jesus on the cross. I can, I can do anything I want to do. You're not free. There's no freedom. You're back into bondage. You've been called to liberty, so don't use it as an occasion to sin. See, when God gives us a set of standards, he's saying to us, this is what you need to do through the power of the Spirit to do what I want you to do. This is what I called you to be. I called you to be a winner in the game of life. I've called you to freedom. I didn't call you to be a loser. And God says, I've given you a guaranteed way to win. It's in the rule book, the word of God. And you can't follow my rules and, and, and my play and my strategy in your own strength. No, I've given you the blessed Holy Spirit to enable you. God says, I guarantee you will be successful. So he says, don't use this freedom that I'm giving you as a license to go out and sin, knowing that God's going to forgive you. Because if you do that, it's going to undermine, it will pervert your calling. The second thing that license will do is it'll excel your sinning. It will, excel, it will accelerate your sinning. It'll make your life a base for the devil's operation. Because again, one little sin leads to a greater sin, to a greater sin, to a greater sin. Remember, little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You know, every case in the Bible where leaven is used, again, it's, a, it's an example of the permeation and the power of evil. It's an example of how evil begins with one little sin. And I can give you many biblical illustrations of Bible characters who are living under the grace of God. But they gave into a sin, small sin, and being undealt with, it grew and multiplied in their life. It became a great sin and it destroyed them. Don't ever let anybody tell you that grace that liberates you means that you live any way you want to live. That you can just go out and sin all that you want to sin and that God is going to forgive you and everything will be fine. No. You can live any way you want to live even if you're a child of God. We have the illustration of the prodigal son. He left home. He left home and he went and did everything he wanted to do. He came back home. He was still a son. But he had some scars. He had some heartaches. His bags were empty with what he left home with, but his bags were full of the broken mess he brought back home. I'm glad if you're a child of God, you can always come back home. But don't ever think that you can play with sin and win. Nobody can. Nobody has. No one ever will. The way to live this Christian life is not by focusing on rules and lists, though everyone has rules and lists, and we must have them. Daniel had them. David had them. Jesus himself had them. The focus, however, is not upon the rules and lists. That's what legalism would be. It's not upon no rules. That's license. But the third way of living the Christian life is by way of liberty. Again, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Now listen to me. Liberty does not mean that you can do anything you want to do. Liberty means... You can do everything 
that God wants you to do. And if you're sitting here this morning saying, I just can't, I can't love my spouse the way God says. I can't bring my children up the way God says. I can't be faithful. to. I can't do this. What it means is you're not living in liberty. Because if you were living in liberty, you would be able to do everything that God wants you to do. Because once you get, in un, once you get untangled from the bondage and freed by the Holy Spirit, you'll find you have all of the power of the Holy Spirit to do everything that He wants you to do. See, here again is the, the practical way in which this works. We sit in church, man, there's some pretty hard stuff. I don't know if I can... Um, love like Jesus loved. I don't think I can love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's what he says. Wives, I don't think I can submit as the Bible says. And that's what God says. And the world, by the way, takes that phrase out of every wedding ceremony practically. Wives, submit yourself. Well, we don't do that today. Well, most of the we don't even stay together today because they're trying to do God's plan in their own power, it ain't going to work. Never has, never will. And so what happens is we say, I can't do this stuff. You know, we, we passed another church. I think we ought to visit that one. And you can do that. But here's what God is saying. Why would you want to call upon Christ to save your soul from hell to take you to heaven, which you could not find on your own? You can't get there on your own. You can't sneak into heaven. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it by the month. You have no bartering power to get yourself into heaven. Why would you trust Jesus to take you to heaven only to live the life as a child of God in your own strength and energy? See, God says, I've called you with a holy heavenly calling. And if you were to get honest with the Bible, you'd say, there's a lot of things in there that's strict. Not even talking about what you wear or what you listen to, but talking about the attitude of our hearts. Love as Jesus loved, no bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking. Forgive as Jesus forgave. Love as Jesus loved. Uh, be holy as God is holy. I mean, we can go right down the list. And these are things that are not hard. They're humanly impossible. So why would we go somewhere where someone says, you don't, you don't have to, you just pick and choose like the Bible's above faith. You just pick and choose. God never said that. In fact, God says, this is the essence of the Christian life. And I've only mentioned a few and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more things. And if you look at it, you say, oh, you're going to overwhelm us. I'm already depressed. If you're depressed, you're going legalism or license. You're not in liberty. And if you get honest and look at what God says, you have to admit, I can't do it. And God knew that before you were ever born. So he sent Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago who paid the price for your sin so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you call upon Christ to save your soul, to take you to heaven, he not only says it's a done deal, but he literally moves inside of you to help you to be what you ought to be, do what you ought to do. You say, I want that. That's called liberty, freedom. And you only find that, listen, not by focusing on rules, 
not by not focusing on rules. It only comes by focusing on Jesus. And if Jesus says it, it settles it. Well, what if the Bible's not true? Sometimes people feel compelled. I've got to explain to them how the Bible is true. I don't. No, I just declare it. God said it. God's word is powerful. It's your responsibility to accept it. Well, how can they believe it until you've explained all the parchments are inspired by God? That's not what they need. They just need to know that there is a God and they're not him. And when they put, if they can trust Google, they ought to be able to trust God. And there's power and authority in the word of God. And so when you put your faith in God, he enables you. Listen, we need liberty. We need liberty. We need that, that freedom. Confident runners are unhurried even when they're running at a light, lightning fast pace. And I think Paul has something of that imagery. Look at verse number 10 as we close this. Paul says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. He says the way of liberty, you run while resting. You may be hindered. You may have people opposing you. You may have some sin that's clinging to you. But run while resting in Jesus. Not only run while resting in Jesus, but we've said this, Hebrews 12, 2. Run by looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, and it says, Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I've said it before. The Greek grammar there is look away from everything else. Look away from those who are hindering. Look away from those that are bringing you back into bondage. Look away from that little leaven. Look away and look unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. You may be here and you may be struggling to even run well. Let me encourage you, lean on God. If you've stumbled and you're struggling to return to your feet, would you remember this? God says, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. When you cry out to God, He's available. And by the way, in church, we have others we can cry out to as well, other runners. Maybe you've stopped running altogether. Hebrews 12 and verse 3 said, consider Jesus who endured the contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Don't throw in the towel. Jesus didn't throw in the towel for you. Let me, let me ask you a few questions as we close. You can close your Bible. Look this way. Did you know that if you're saved, the real you, the core of who you are, is actually righteous? Did you know that when you were born again or regenerated, the Holy Spirit generated divine life within you? God's nature is now implanted in you and God's nature is righteous, it's holy, it's loving, it's good, and it is kind. Did you know that this divine nature in you constitutes the real 
you. I don't care what failure you've had today or this week or this month or the past year of all your Christian life. When you got saved based upon the authority of the Word of God, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, all things are become new. You were given a new divine nature and that constitutes the real you. The righteous, the holy, the loving, the good, the kind nature of Jesus Christ. Your body, your soul, they're not yet all new, but your spirit is. There had to be a part of you when you got saved that was made completely holy so that the Holy Spirit could move in and live within you. Did you know that this provision is in you? Listen, every moment of every day and has been since the day you were saved. Did you know that this amazing provision was available for you even on your worst day, even when you ignored it? Did you know that according to 1 John 3 and verse 9, the real you as God's seed, literally it's God's sperma is the Greek word. It can not sin that lives in you. Obviously, we can ignore the provision. We can sin. But just as obviously, God's nature, if you're saved, in you cannot sin. That's why 1 John 3, 6 explains that the one who abides in Christ does not sin. Did you know that your real leader, if you're saved, is the Holy Spirit of the risen, ascended, and enthroned Christ, and that he moved in your life and joined with your spirit when you were saved? You have a personal guide. You have a personal generator, Christ in you, to lead you, to empower you for everything God calls you to be and do. The Spirit of Jesus in you is your real liberating leader. Did you know that your real response to the people, the circumstances around you each day is the response of the real you? Listen, to your real leader, the Spirit of God. When you respond wrong, it's because you responded wrong to your Holy Spirit living within you. When you fail to embrace the trial or the test with joy, it's because you're not following the leader of the Spirit of God. The real you wants not a sinful reaction, but rather Jesus every time. It's time to move past the noise of the world, the noise of your soul, the noise of Satan's lies to your real response as a child of God, not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage and start taking the provision of Christ in you and acting upon it. And as you do, you will start experiencing Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you one more question. Interested? Let's stand together, please. Amen.